We got the Beecham Boys today. <laughs> First thing is a disclaimer. Wait, wait a minute. First, first thing is, I want y'all to know I'm totally comfortable being second string. Little brothers, you never does never anything you can do to kiss up to them enough. He's going to look over this direction two or three times to give me about thirty seconds. For three times, that's what it's for. There you go. Mary Serafino is to blame for this. <laughs> Paul, when you and your brother, y'all used to teach together, and y'all give us a lesson. And so, I, I promise you, you're going to hear the miscellaneous ramblings of two old and confused minds <laughs> who still think they understand Scripture. There's nobody in the world... Wait, they put it in the English language. That was the first thing they did wrong. Now, now we can all read it and become a theologian. <laughs> but Harry and I, the, the good news out of this is Harry and I have had a wonderful time sitting down together and trying to draw a focus on what it is we think we want to ramble on about today. All of this got started... When the, the preacher, you know, says for everybody to let's read the Bible in a year, and I took off reading, and um, I'm over in Romans by now. But uh, just, just, and I was so delighted that how the old scriptures that you know so well, when you read them again, how wonderfully fresh and new, and some new spiritual blessing is jumping out of every every few verses. You know what I'm talking about? And it just, it just had me, you know, just reflecting over particularly the Old Testament characters. So, well, well, well one of the things that I think is important, you know, since we've gotten old, Dave, they, we've gone from classical physics to modern quantum physics, right? We've discovered DNA. We've done all these things, the Big Bang and whatever. And I can remember when I first started reading the Bible, it was my mama's Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I don't know if y'all remember that or not, but in Thompson Chain Reference, they had the book of Isaiah written by four authors, uh, some of them post-A.D., uh, and, and a lot of things have been discovered. I, I remember some people discovering the Old Testament as being recorded on the head of a staff, you know, like a little recordings and it got this notch and that's how Moses found out about all of this and wrote it for us today according to the experts according to the experts but just a few years back and if you've been to Israel and been to the shrine of the scroll they discovered an Isaiah scroll 350 BC and the the Jews have that completely opened up uh, surrounding about a 300 foot building a so complete scroll a complete scroll and guess what the book of Isaiah 300 B.C. looks like. Just like you read it in so, any modern version. So the integrity of the scripture is an important, is an important point. It's, it's a big very, point. It's very important to us. It is a, a reasonable thing for an intelligent person to say, I'm going to believe the scripture. I'm going to believe the scriptural accounts. That's why we've enjoyed in looking at the creation stuff and reading Gerald Schroeder, a, a Jewish scholar, who believes the scripture. And so an appreciation for the scripture, I think we also got from our grandfather. Yeah. And, Harry and one other thing that, that you're going you're gonna to talk about Abraham, this guy was a, a businessman, city dweller, enterprising guy, and in, in 
uh, Ebla, which is a thousand BC uh, before Abraham. They had very uh, proof of, they found thousands of tablets showing commerce, international, with city-state trade. Uh, very, uh, not a bunch of ignorant nomads. Not a bunch around. of nomads. This guy was a businessman. This guy yeah. had some wealth before he started out on this. And it was a great change in his life to go from a city dweller to a nomadic lifestyle. Yeah. Completely out of his league and what he would have been trained for. Well, the significance that, that we feel about this, when you take, when you start off in Genesis, the first thing is going to be the creation. It's not long after the creation when Adam and Eve, the first folks out, the first folks up or the first folks out. And now we've got the problem of sin. And in the first few chapters of Genesis, you get the world going from bad to worse to terrible. And in no time flat, by the sixth chapter of Genesis, you've got the flood. And God said, I'm sorry I ever made these folks. And uh, a, a kind of a starting over, and you 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 follow that starting over. What does it lead to? In no time flat, you got the Tower of Babel, and you've got this this cussedness of the human kind, the human, human species kind. that we call original sin, meaning uh, our forefather, our our representative Adam. Uh, messed it up and disobeyed God, and the only rescue that the Bible talks about is what the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did to save us from that. But by the time you get through 11 chapters of the Bible, you've got a, a royal mess again uh, in terms of sin being rampant. And then you come to Genesis chapter 12. That's the good part of the Bible. Here's the, here's the creation story, and then here's the problem. And early on, by Genesis 12, we get the story of faith. And that's that's what we were trying to talk about, the, the goodness of this. Here is Abraham, and Genesis 12 starts out like this. And the Lord spoke to Abraham. Now, right off the bat, you, we've got the Bible saying, the Bible side of this story is, this story of faith and grace that's going to, to characterize the Bible from here on out, the grace of God, and it's a matter of faith, is introduced, it's God's idea. It's not Abraham trying to climb the ladder of self-righteousness or accomplishment or deserving, okay? The Bible has already taught us in the first 11 chapters, what a sorry lot we are. But it is true that left to our own doings, we, everyone, will flunk. Yeah. And then here comes the introduction of a man who, uh, if you want to get to the real heroes of the Bible, when Paul starts writing Romans, he's got two of them. It's Abraham and David. Now, we were going to originally talk about Abraham and David. Ain't no chance we'll get to David. You can tell that already. <laughs> just going to talk about him. The father of faith. And the, the, the scriptural verse that's important in Genesis 12, early on, goes like this. Simple. Abraham believed, believed God. God. And he counted it 
to him as righteousness. You hear that? Abraham believed God and God counted faith as righteousness. Well, if we go to the New Testament, we know that no man, Jesus said, hey, none of you can come to me except the Father draw you. So if Abraham believed God, God gave Abraham the capacity to believe. The, the grace of God precedes Abraham's believing. You, you with that? None of us, none of us would bring ourselves. Paul says that in Ephesians. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins and we're blind and we have no capacity to come to God. So God visits Abraham in a gracious way, gives Abraham faith. God says, Abraham, I want you to do something. I want you to be the one you and your generations through whom I will bless the whole world. Yeah, that's, that's the promise. The promise of Abraham is, and the New Testament writers, particularly Paul, comes back to this point. The very blessing that God gives Abraham in the first encounter that he has as recorded in, in Genesis 12 is I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. And so the Bible being written by Jews, uh, Moses being a tribe of Levi, a Jewish writer, all the early New Testament, uh, Jesus himself being uh, a Jew, and all the New Testament, all the early church leaders Jewish, the big issue of that day was what are you going to do with us, us Gentiles? How are you going to account for them? And they go directly back to Abraham and the promise of God that righteousness by faith, righteousness by promise, comes from the the very words that God gave Abraham. I'll bless all the nations. And Paul does the same thing the first two chapters of Genesis do. Paul tells you what a sorry lot the world is in 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 Genesis 1, in Romans 1. And in, in no time flat, Paul is right over to talking about what the gospel is about, and he is he's saying, first of all, this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of faith. And that faith is counted as righteousness. So let, let's be careful there for a minute. Who's righteousness? And righteous about what? And the answer to that, I think, is it certainly has nothing to do with us. We are not righteous. There is nothing about us that is righteous. So the righteousness that God counts to us is called, Paul uses a, a legal term, imputed. It's an imputed righteousness. That is, the righteousness of God himself in Jesus Christ when God became a man like us. The holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, paying the sin debt, earning the victory over the sin and death and the devil, and establishing uh, resurrection and eternal life. That work of Christ, the benefits of it, are imputed to folks like me and you. Can you believe that? Can you believe God would do something that gracious? Which, what he used an ordinary person in this, we look at Abraham and, and look at all the things that are written about him. He's, he's a theme throughout the whole Bible. But here's a guy that's married to his half-sister. 
by his dad. There's no, no evidence of a great love affair here. No evidence that God was blessing him and that she was uh, infertile for mm-hmm. 75 or 80 years. Maybe, 90. Well, 90 years. So you've got some issues with with this family that issues that are very similar maybe to all of us. You've got a, a, a father, Terah, who takes his his uh, Abraham's half-sister and marries them. It's, it's a family-arranged marriage. And you've got the issue of the changes of his lifestyle from living and Sarah in feeling like she's a, a not blessed by God, yeah. infertile. Uh, I mean, infertile. That was considered in those days a, almost a curse, if if not exactly. Well, you got some other other. These issues did not go away. Point of making, they did not go away after Abraham has Isaac, and we'll get to that in a minute. Guess where Sarah's tent? Sarah's tent's up in Hebron, and Abraham's down around Beersheba. They, they're Separated, separated in their later life. So God is taking this blessing, this, this miracle of choosing somebody and imputing righteousness to them. He's using ordinary, Even though we know the guy has not, has not achieved righteousness on his own. So he, he gets a little bit later in, when, once Abraham is traveling, gets down into Canaan and a famine comes around. So what does he do? They go over to Egypt just like Jacob's family did years later, 400 years later. Uh, and uh, Sarah, Sarah, his wife, like all Sarahs, was a very beautiful woman. And, and, and now listen to the way that even in her older age. Yeah. I scored some points on that, though. In, in the man of faith now that is trusting God for everything enough to leave home, the man of faith says to his wife, look, when we get over here and start dealing with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's a big dude. I might have a few people that are armed. I'm, I'm a small dude. He sees how good looking you are. If he, if he understands that you're my wife, he's going to kill me and take you as his wife. And sure enough, when he got down there, uh, Pharaoh's uh, scouts looked around and said, have you seen that guy's wife? And the next thing you know, she's off over uh, in uh, the harem. has already <laughs> called her to the harem. And God starts uh, causing diseases and bad luck to happen to them. And Pharaoh can't, can't wait uh, to get him out of there. So the man of faith was afraid of a friend who could turn into an enemy. He didn't do it just the one time, a man of faith. Uh, doesn't that, does that help you at all? It helps me to know that wait a minute, man all he did, wait a minute. can have doubt. He, he just didn't do full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like some of our representatives uh, in our government right now. They can Promise do some to tell the talk. truth, the whole truth, and nothing but, but the truth. No, 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 no just the truth, not the whole truth. But it was, it was the truth, it was his sister. It was his sister. It was a half-truth. Yeah, it was a half-truth. Now he does it again. The man of faith, the man of faith who God has blessed, going to bless the whole world. This man of faith runs into another guy named Abimelech, who is a, a, a city state, tribal city state. chieftain, uh, and Abraham still figures he's stronger than me. Same deal. Abimelech is ready for her to come over to, uh, to uh, his house 
And by the time uh, God uh, God actually spoke to Abimelech and said, Hey, don't touch this woman. You better get her back to her husband. Abimelech said, What have you done to me? What have you done to me? My goodness. Abimelech was offended by the fact that Abraham went straight up with him. And then, of course, we, the man of faith and his wife of faith, we've got the whole idea of Hagar and Ishmael. We're trying to humanize the, the, the saint. Hagar, when the angel of, of the Lord. First of all, when they, when they were in Egypt, this is, Abraham does this move from what would be, uh, modern day northern Syria, probably, part of the Fertile Crescent that's on the western end of the Fertile Crescent. Top of the, he leaves, he leaves his mom, he leaves his mom and dad there and his, and his brother and, and comes down into what's modern day Israel. He's there eight or nine years at the most when he winds up in Egypt the first time. Can you believe that within a year or so after that, he has 318 trained men born in his own household. And you're talking about a guy that was not a, a small dude. When he went into Egypt, he carried probably, I would guess, six to 800 people with him. So when he moved in, on Pharaoh's territory, he had a sizable army because he uses that in the storyline to defeat five kings and rescue his nephew Lot. Yeah. He's a powerful guy with a lot of. I don't want to. I don't want to make him just an, an ordinary person. He does have a great wealth and he does have a great uh, training. If he's got trained men, he's got his own army. He's a powerful guy. So God comes early on. Uh, the birth of Ishmael is when Abraham is age six. It's 13 years later when Abraham's 99 that God institutes uh, circumcision. And it's when Abraham's 100, the child of promise. So that's where he gets Isaac is born. But when you go back to this idea that God said right off the bat, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Through your through offspring. your line. Now, Abraham gets a little bit further in Abraham's conversation with God. Well, look, I don't have a son, therefore my head man, Eleazar, yeah. is going to be uh, whom you have to bless me to, Lord. Lord said, hold on, I ain't going to do that. Then God's made the, the promise. God's made the promise, made an oath. God promised it with Abraham with an oath and with a blood sacrifice and and the promise of God. Then you get the three guys standing out under the tree and uh, they're on their way over to uh, wipe out uh, Sodom. And Abraham walks out, and he knows that the three guys is really that Old Testament term, the angel of the Lord. It's the Lord appearing like a man. It's Christ. We all see these appearances like Melchizedek and and these angels. And they said, uh, uh, your, your wife is uh, going to get pregnant. Uh, this year and next year you're going to have a son and the wife of the man of faith is in her tent and she goes, fat chance. <laughs> are you, you know, are you joking with me? Uh, she said, I'm 99. I'm 90. She's coming up on 90. I'm 90 years old and worn out. Terrible thing to say. She's, but that's how she describes herself. I'm a worn out old woman of 89 or 90 years old, and I'm going to have a baby. 
Do you know what the Lord says through his angel? There's another place in the scripture where he says the same thing. Is anything too hard for God? the Lord? He said that to Moses. too hard for the Lord? How, how do you like that for an answer? That just kind of shuts that up right quick, doesn't it? We're going to be people of faith in spite of our lack of faith, in spite of our tripping over the circumstances, in spite of how muddy and wet and messy it was uh, in Peru down there in, in that jungle and climbing up that hill and all of that. You know, I, I, I have to admit, I was capable of saying, oh my God, you know, what a mess this place is. I mean, I went through that thought. It's raining in the middle of the night. Okay, we're going to get up in the morning and we're going to walk in the rain down here to get in this boat, you know. And we're going to slide and land on our tails on this hill going, you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't take much for us people of faith to stumble over the circumstances. And of course the angel says to Sarah, hey, you laughed. Oh no, I didn't. The angel said, yeah, you did. God said, yes, you did. You laughed, you know. And then, of course, when Isaac gets born, what's the name Isaac mean? Laughter. Laughter. It's can you believe this kind of laughter. My goodness, God has taken a 90-year-old woman and given her a son. That's absolutely, I mean, that is, that's like life, life from death. Well, I was just thinking he left left us right in the middle of the story about uh, Ishmael. <laughs> but that's due to old age. <laughs> Ishmael wasn't that old. <laughs> the story of Ishmael is Abraham trying to do it himself. Okay, Abraham making a deal with Sarah. Sarah tried both of them together in collusion. Takes this little trip to Egypt. He comes back with an Egyptian handmaid for Sarah. And so Sarah gets the idea, I'll just have this baby through my handmaid. And that's very typical of how we operate probably most of the time. Instead of operating in faith, instead of operating on the promise. I still have some prayers after, you know, I hit the altar up here in 1974. I still have some prayers that aren't answered after 74. That's been almost 40 years. So, you take this little trip of Abraham from the time he made the promise at 75 to the time he gets Isaac's 25 years in the land, going through many difficult issues. And in those difficult issues, he did exactly like we did. Tried to figure it out, some way to make it happen ourselves. And Ishmael was that person. And, then, and Ishmael becomes the type of our flesh, where Isaac... The fleshly, the fleshly solution. The flesh, the human, it's our human solution, our way of thinking, and it's our way of also it's our way of salvation. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. Our way of salvation is not God's way. Oh, our way of salvation is like the guys asked Jesus right there in the last part of John. What must we do? What's his answer? Believe in the one he sent. The answer is, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You can't, you, there's no way to claw or climb or, or perform. There's nothing you can do to get but God's Paul, attention. Paul makes this point in two ways. He makes a point about Isaac being the child of promise, because that's where the promise was. And here's what God does by a miracle. 
But he also makes the issue of circumcision, which becomes the way the Jews, uh, every single Jewish boy is circumcised at the eighth day. And that's a covenant in the flesh with the Jews that God made through Abraham. And Abraham believed when he's 75, he's circumcised when he's 99. Paul makes this a big point. Which comes first, the circumcision or the belief? The belief always comes first. And any time we reverse it, we have an Ishmael. So we want to to stay on the opposite end of that and let God bring those answers to prayer. Let God bring those changes that we would fix ourselves. And that's that's what Abraham is so prominent in all the theology of the New Testament. uh, God did bless Ishmael. Yes, he, he did. did. He did he not did. abandon Ishmael. He did not. Yeah. Yeah. Even even Abraham and Sarah's mistake, yeah. even there messing it up, was blessed. God yeah. even blessed blessed Ishmael. Yeah. yeah. Not abandoning. Well, in the the issue of of the promised line comes one generation later. After Abraham, it's Isaac. Isaac has two sons, one Esau and one Jacob. Here's where God introduces something that none of us seem to understand and that's a matter of choice he chose Jacob instead of Esau and changed his name to Israel that doesn't work with our conscience that doesn't work with our mind doesn't work with anything that we can think consciously that's just who God is so God when he chooses that line he does take the rest of us through the promise the promise is that all nations that's Ishmael, that's us Americans that's us whoever all are welcome to come into the to the belief of Jesus, the belief of God. The and that same issue that's there in the Ishmael versus Isaac thing, we see it fresh all over again when you get to the New Testament. As soon as you get the day of Pentecost, uh, there are a lot of Jews that are saved. But the next thing you know in the New Testament, looking back at it, is what? Cornelius shows up, a Roman soldier. Hey, please come down to my house. And Peter, after God, uh, does a little brain surgery on him and helps straighten Peter's thinking out. Peter goes down there, and Peter is in the midst of preaching, and he hasn't even gotten to the altar call. Okay? It it should have waited to the altar call. In the midst of, 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 of Peter preaching, what happens? God happens. God happens and fills the whole place and sends the Holy Spirit to everybody in the house. And they're all Gentiles. There you go. What are you going to do with this? So we have this idea that what God is intended to do, a promise God made himself to himself, that God will create a, 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 a race of folk like us, with this capacity for good and the capacity for evil, and that he ultimately will save us, and the job of saving us and curing what's the matter with us is too big for any other sinful person to bear. The only cure for our problem is God himself. That's the, he's the only cure. Well, he makes this evident, he makes this evident in the story about Abraham. Abraham first gets the promise. There's a visitation. He gets the promise. But then he come, God comes back and says, I'm going to seal this. And we got the institution of the blood sacrifice because he 
Abraham, God tells him he gets a bird, he gets a lamb, Genesis he gets 15. a heifer, and he, he, he sacrifices and, a turtle dove. and sacrifices the blood of these, which which has been the story since Adam and Eve. You remember God clothed them instead of fig leaves, he clothed them with an animal skin, the sacrifice of the animals. He does this to Abraham too, and he seals it, and the Hebrew says this, God did it by two unchangeable things. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie, and he did his own oath. Two impossible things to be can, cannot be changed, that God has instituted this and given the promise, and it cannot be cannot fail. So he does, does this with Abraham. And well, but using the symbol of sin equals death, and God, in the midst of, of blessing Abraham, brings out that blood sacrifice again. Right. The Abraham, instead of you dying, uh, a heifer <laughs> and, and a ram and a she-goat, well, he, he takes that and animals he, die. He takes that the step farther when Isaac is a little bit older. We all know the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Remember the story? Isaac goes with him and says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? They got a donkey. They got the wood. They got the fire. And they go really basically to uh, to Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is now. They make the journey from Beersheba over to Jerusalem. It's a maybe a week journey. I don't know. He finally puts Isaac on the altar. He makes an altar, puts Isaac on the altar, pulls up the knife, ready to strike. And what's God saying about that? Well, you you cannot yeah, make the sacrifice. Why is God let Abraham? take it this far. Actually, the scripture says God tested Abraham. Uh, you could you could say God tested Abraham to the point would Abraham kill his son? And the answer was yes, he would. Yes. Because Abraham would have believed that since he had already gotten him from the dead anyhow, a dead wife, ovaries are dead, a dead womb, he had already gotten him as a special thing, that if God wanted him to kill him, but God's teaching a lesson here. The 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 salvation that God is delivering in this story is not going to come through a man. It's not going to come through Abraham's son. Don't kill your son, Abraham. There, there is, there is the, uh, the ruling out of that kind of foolishness on our part as a potential way to appease so God. Children, kill your children. The God's only that was the Canaanite thing. They all for their first son. Well, God's the only one can give the Son, which is what He does. And so, so the symbol of the story is that we can't do anything. We can't offer, even if it were our Son. We can't offer Even if anything. we're willing to do it. If we're willing to do it, and He was. And God doesn't want it. He don't so, want you to So what does God son. do? God provides a ram caught in a thicket. The knife is stayed. The angel uh, is there. And they do the sacrifice of the ram, which... It's still symbolic, but it says the story that Abraham cannot, that God is not going to allow us to make the sacrifice. Only can be made through the Son. <coughs> there are a, a couple of, of, of words. When we look at this idea of being right with God, Noah was called a righteous man. There are other places where are called righteous. In this idea of, of righteousness, there's a legal term called commute. We know what, uh, uh, if the governor is on his way out, he could commute the death sentence 
of a prisoner and the communing is to change a thing into another thing. That is, change death back into life by an exchange or a substitute. So, God in, in that sense commutes the death sentence on all of us by being born as sinners. And the, and the, there is a death sentence that's on, on every one of us in the sense of our humanness. Our humanness is going to get us by itself death and separation from God. But he commutes the sentence that takes care of the negative side. And then he imputes to us. He commutes our, our sin. And he imputes to us a free gift. Attributing of the benefit. the Absolutely the righteousness of Christ himself. Is attributed to you and me. So that Christ is willing to call you and me his brothers and sisters. Can I read it? Let me, let me read, read, let me read this. Romans, uh, four. Let me read a couple of verses. He is our father, speaking of Abraham. He is our father in the sight, in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it's been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but strengthened in faith. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So the credit is is nothing to do with his works. Well, let's let's finish that up. These words were not written for him alone, but also for us, us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The commutation and the imputation. And then in 5, Romans 5, is following. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Justifications, God's doing, counting us. The faith that we have, even the ability to believe, is God's gift. By faith, what does it, what does that get us with God? And Paul does this in every one of his letters. He says, grace and peace to you. You want peace with God? You gotta have the grace of God. Hear it here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's no, there's no, there's no, 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 no come up. It's waiting on you and me, brothers and sisters. When we trust God, when the faith saves us from any kind of, of come up at the end of our lives, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, the grace of God, in which we stand and we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So that in skipping over one more place in, in Romans 5, 
For if because of one man's trespass, our father, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. And then although we said we weren't going to talk about David, there is one little beautiful part, because we probably won't do this again. Um, <laughs> let's go back, and, and here's a recount. Uh, uh, first part of Romans 4. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, anything he could have done, he had something to boast about. But this is not, but not before God. Abraham does not, not have anything he can And okay, God, you owe me this. What does the scripture say? Now Paul's going to repeat exactly what Genesis said. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Can you believe that, friends? You believe God and God counts me as righteous? He even counts Tom Knight as righteous. Counted to him as righteous. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, anything we could have done to deserve it. But it's something you would do. The one but to the one who does not work, meaning as in there's nothing you can do to help yourself, but believes in him who justifies the godly? No. Who justifies the ungodly. How about the thief on the cross? He'd qualify there, wouldn't he? Justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David speaks of the blessing. Now, you want to get a guy that was not, <laughs> did, uh, that was very much a man of faith as, as Abraham was, but good Lord, the list of things David did, uh, a man of God. <laughs> the royal David. The man after God's own heart. Man after God's own heart. David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness. Hear this. Apart from works. Two different matters. And here's David's psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord <coughs> will not count his sin. How can you believe that? How can anybody believe that? I'll tell you, when it happened to me, I could hardly believe it. it was, it's, you can see it still messes with me. It's, it's, it's because, isn't that a wonderful blessing? The blessing of salvation is so fantastically wonderful. It, it happened to me when I had no theology at all. I've told you all this before. I was an 11-year-old child. I was more interested in playing baseball and and I I never prayed a sincere prayer, but the Lord called me, and He called me the way you'd call an eleven-year-old boy, and gave me the gift of prayer, and the blessing that He did there in a few minutes with me. I I just it it, it overwhelmed me then. I had to get out of that place and go sit out in my daddy's car, figuring out what in the world has happened to me. 
And I still feel the same way about it. The blessing of the grace of God still blows my mind. It really does. The daily goodness of God who can count me as his child. Not counting Not only just counting me, guaranteed it. With guaranteed. An with an oath. And God's impossible to lie. Those are the two things. Two immutable things, Hebrews says. And that gives us hope, Hebrews writer says, like an anchor in the soul. Going behind the curtain into the very presence of God. That hope is the anchor. And hope makes us not ashamed, according to the scriptures. So, that's the story of Abraham. You want to quit? We're going to quit. You want to read anything out of Hebrews before we quit? Well, it's up to you. No, we'll quit. But you, well, well, hey, we've been blabbing. Uh, how about what do you think? We, we've been laying some theology on you. Let's, let's take a couple of minutes. we got a couple of minutes, don't we? Yeah. Or if we talk to you in the stony silence, you know what I'm saying. Yes. Um, the situation with Abraham and Isaac. I read that um, Abraham totally believed that God was going to bless the world through him and his offspring, which was Isaac. So the issue he had was, you know, uh, how can God do that if I kill Isaac? But he believed, this is what I read in one source, uh, Abraham believed that if he killed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. Uh That was the only way that his promise to future generations could come to be. Yes. And we're kind of saying that we believe that God in sparing Abraham that kind of thing, that that would have been an error. That the only one capable of being the adequate sacrifice for your sin and mine is God himself, Jesus Christ. And and that it, it certainly gave Abraham another experience of God's grace that he spared Isaac. And of course the scriptures... Uh, says uh, that that God tested Abraham. Yeah. Um, well, Sarah Paul warns us very much. Don't 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 you go be testing God. Sarah moved to a different tent after that, so it did cause a little rift oh. in the family. But in fact, he took him off and tried to kill him. I don't think the mother and her could quite accept that. Interesting. Yes, she lived in a different tent. But I, I I think that that Abraham's story is not complete. Okay. I think that uh, just as God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, yeah. that we continue with that responsibility today yeah. as descendants, as followers of, of Christ, yes. as originated by Abraham. Yes. Our responsibility is to continue that process today well, so Peter, that ultimately we will bring all nations unto God. Peter says us. that very plainly, and, and I, I can't remember his first or second Peter. He says, what is God doing? And Peter's language is, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that God is prolonging the end of this age in our day. And there are many, many people. Maybe generations in the future. Who knows? and, And Jesus said very plain, nobody knows that. So how long are you going to wait on God to bring things to a conclusion? And the answer is don't even go there because you're not going to figure it out. But that God is in these days of grace, the grace of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, 
is a message of God's grace and a message of peace with God. And Peter says that God's not willing, and that's why, that's why we're continuing the, the way we are, because God's not willing for anybody to be lost. He wants to save, he wants to save uh, all who will. Whosoever will. Got another hand, right? Yes. Yeah, Paul. Um, I just want to go back to Abraham sacrificing Isaac. In Judaism, Isaac is uh, admired, respected for his willingness to be sacrificed. Mm. He's a young, strong fellow. Yes. And he did not struggle. He obeyed his father. Yeah. Abraham, and he must have had some belief in God. You know, that is an honor to him yes. of obedience. And the scripture says, when in saying that, um, Isaac says to his dad, Dad, we, uh, we've got the wood, we, yeah. we built where the altar. The uh, where is the sacrifice? You remember what Abraham's answer to that is, The Lord will provide. Yes. The Lord will provide. And of course, he's run over, so I'm going to leave. I've got to run and take my son to the airport. So, with that, uh, thank you for putting up with us. We enjoyed. Harry and I had a great time. We spent all yesterday afternoon talking about this. You know, I was sitting there thinking what a blessing that is to us to have Paul and Harry share their thoughts. But I also was thinking their parents must have been looking down from heaven, just grinning big time for two sons to be able to share the the Bible and each other and finish each other's sentences. That was just so special. Thank you. Our Bible, we've been moving through, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. So we've gone through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, where are we? Goodness. Okay. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Galatians 6.10. So let's do good to all people, and especially each other. Have a great week. Thank you.